0: Welcome to the mini break, your day podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 24th. Yes, the calendar has turned to another exciting week of action on the Pro Tour, but on this episode, I'm going to do what I promised to all of you listeners, which is finish recapping another exciting weekend of championship action in the Pro Tennis World. Of course, part one of these podcasts looked at the rise of the next next-gen ATP 2.0. It was a great weekend to be born 2000 or later on the ATP tours. We saw Felix Ogier-Aliassime, Holger Runa, and Lorenzo Musetti each capture ATP titles. If you want to hear more about each of those runs or just a look at the next five to seven years on the ATP tour, go check out that edition of the show. All you got to do, scroll down on your mini-break podcast feed. That said, this episode is going to focus on the WTA side of things. The big news, we know who the eight players competing in Fort Worth will be for the 2022 WTA year-end championships. That is going to be an exciting event, and I want to offer my initial thoughts on today's show. I want to take a look at some of these statistics that offer insight into who the best players really have been here in 2022, but how did we figure out what our final 8 field is going to look like, it's because we had a 1000 level event in Guadalajara. And one of the big picture things when we look back at this 2022 season was certainly going to be the rise of Jessica Pagula. She has been the best American woman throughout the course of this season. All due respect to Coco Goff, but if it's been a big event, you know Jessica Pagula is going to make the quarterfinals or further, at least here in 2022. And throughout the course of last week's mini break episodes, I talked about the fact that so many of her losses have come to eventual champions of tournaments, whether whether it was Onjabur Jabur in Madrid, Bardi in Australia, Schviantech in Paris or New York. Pagula has lost to the eventual champion. She just hasn't done it in the finals, in the semifinals. A lot of times it comes in that quarterfinal round. As such, it felt like we were holding that against Pagula, looking at the big picture discussion here this year. What was that signature run for Pagula? That wall we'll remember 2022. 2020- Two four. Well, she finally earns that signature run as she captures the title in Guadalajara. It's the feather in the cap. I don't want to say Pagula needed, but certainly deserve to just, again, put a bow on what has been a standout career 2022 season for the American. And I want to break down what made Pagula so successful throughout the course of the weekend and really throughout the course of the week. I mean, listen to this run. Yes, yeah, she only beat one seed, but wins over and rescue Sloan Stevens, who plays very well in these uh, conditions in Mexico, Victoria Azarenka. And Maria Sakari. It's a heck of a five-match run, and she only dropped one match, uh, one set, excuse me, in those five matches. So clearly. A standout week for the 28-year-old. She ends up in the winner's circle, 2-3 and over Sakari in the final. Now, we can talk about why maybe Sakari wasn't playing with a full deck of weapons at her disposal, given what happened in her semifinal round against Marie Buskova, the carryover from Saturday into Sunday for that match. That said... It was still exactly the week Maria Sakri needed. I know she loses in a final and some will continue to hold her record in finals against her. That said, for Sakri, given the disappointment of her loss in the final in Parma a couple of weeks ago, given the fact that she followed that up with first round losses in Ostrava in San Diego, albeit to the eventual finalist Donna Vekic in San Diego, for her to just Reach the final of Guadalajara to be playing for so much on the line in her quarterfinals round of sixteen matches, where you know she's playing for her year-end finals life, and she gets through each of those matches in three sets. Just from an intangible, you know, confidence standpoint, an invaluable week for Maria Sakkari, and she went back to some of the things she does best while also incorporating some of the newfound developments in her game throughout the course of the week. I'll explain what I mean on today's show, but It's just nice to feel encouraged about Sakari after what has been certainly a downstretch for her relative to expectations here in 2022. But your two big winners of the week, Pagula, Sakari, who each clinched their spots in the year-end finals, want to talk about their runs, talk about their matchup in the finals. We can get into our semifinalists as well. I continue to be a believer that healthy Vika, still very much one of the 32 top 20 players right now on the WTA Tour. Similarly, I think in that list of 32 top 20 players, I'm not ready to put Marie Buzkova on it quite yet, but I don't know when the next time she's going to drop out of the top 50 is outside of some sort of injury, just the physicality Buzkova brings match in, match out, combined with sneaky pop on all of her strokes. Something for us to discuss, certainly on today's show, as we put a final bow on Guadalajara. And then, you know, as this WTA Tour season winds down to a close, I do have an accumulation of statistics I want to run all of you listeners through. So we'll do that at the end as well. Talk about it all as we recap the penultimate week of WTA Tour action. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. I'm always grateful to hear from each of you. Your thoughts on the show, what we can do better, the things you enjoy. I will tell all of you listeners. Little tease here in our business. I will have David Kane, whether it be tonight or tomorrow. Coming on our Great Shot podcast feed to preview the WTA Tour Finals. So I'm going to offer initial thoughts to all of you listeners today. But for that full preview, be on the lookout for that Great Shot podcast episode dropping sometime later this week. I'll be sure to tweet out the link to that podcast as well. That said, shout out to all of you who continue to listen day in, day out. Shout out to the support we also get from our friends at Tennis Point. It would be impossible to do a daily show without the support we get from them each and every day. And it would be impossible possible for so many tennis players to feel comfortable on court without the support they get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Anything you're looking for, clothing, shoes, rackets, strings, you name the brand, they've got it so much more, not just tennis. I'll say that dirty word that got pickleball equipment as well. Again, anything from a racket sport perspective, you name it, you can find it in one location, tennis-point.com, use our promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sales. Items free two day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis Dash point symbol, not the spelling tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into championship weekend action in Guadalajara and Again, we have to start with just a big picture look at what Jessica Pagula has done this season because the American has unequivocally earned her place in the year-end finals, and really has been one of the five best players from start to finish in this WTA Tour season. Don't believe me? Let's look at the numbers. Jessica Pagula, as of right now, new career high, number three in the live rankings. She's 239 points behind Jabeur. You know, a, a good 250 week in Charleston with Shaburn not playing and Pagula narrows that deficit. That's nothing in the big picture of things. Obviously, you can combine Shaburn Pagula, they'd still trail Sviantec in the race for number one. But given how open the field is beyond Iga, Pagula has positioned herself. If she's not definitively, well, she's not a tier one player, in my opinion, but. Tier two, in my mind, the definition has always been just someone who's going to be in the mix. You know at the big events, quarterfinals, semifinals, they're just going to get bites at the apple against the biggest players. That's been Jessica Pagula all season long. That's why she's three in the live rankings. She's three in the points race. You look for Jessica Pegula here this season in terms of total victories. Overall, Pegula ranks fourth. She trails just Shvantec, Jabir, and then, of course, Beatrice Haddad Maya, who racked up a ton of 100 125k victories early in the season has some qualifying wins to help boost her total. If you go with just tour level victories, I'm fairly certain Pagula ranks third overall on the season. Of course, you look at the ELO rankings. Pagula fifth according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings, which as a reminder, because it's been a while since I've referenced the ELO ratings, the difference between The tour rankings and ELO ratings. Tour rankings, you are rewarded for a win based on the round it happens and where it happens. So a Wimbledon quarterfinal win is more valuable than a Charleston quarterfinal win, you know, that said, a Charleston title victory is more valuable than a round one win at a slam. It's based on the round and where you're playing, not based on who you're playing. That's the exact opposite for ELO rating. ELO doesn't care if the match is round one or in the semifinals of a tournament. If you beat a good player, it's going to factor that in. It also factors in the scoreline of of your matches, win or lose. That said, you look at the Elo ratings. Pagula ranks fifth in overall Elo. She trails just Iga Barty, who should I, I should have taken out of the ranking. So she ranks fourth. Sviantek, Jabir, Halep, Pagula. You look at just 2022 specific results as of right now. Iga won. It's hilarious because Barty with her January still ranks two, Halep three, Pagula four, Jaber being punished for not playing much tennis of late. She currently ranks five, but again, by every metric, wins, wins. ELO ratings, regular rankings. You look at total quarterfinals on the season. Shviantek, Jabur both have 12. Kuter Matova, 11. Then Pagula tied with a group of four who each have nine. So she's top five in total quarterfinals here overall on the season. I mean, again, Jessica Pagula, by every metric, and I know I continue, I've mentioned this last week, but let's just say it one more time for Pagula here this season, 42-18 and 18 overall, where have her quarterfinals come? Australia, Roland Garros, U.S. Open, so quarterfinals at three of the majors, plus Miami, Madrid, Toronto, Cincinnati, Guadalajara. Three major quarterfinals, five 1,000-level quarterfinals. She reached the quarterfinal in San Diego as well, of course, finals uh, for her. In both uh or in the Madrid event and now a final and a title, a signature run here in Guadalajara as she knocks out Maria 6-2, 6'2, 6'3. For what it's worth, you look overall on the season, Jessica Pagula uh in terms of top ten victories. It's interesting. She doesn't rank uh top eight in top ten victories, she doesn't rank top eight in top twenty victories either. But you know, again. How can you disrespect any of these wins? Rabakata, Andrescu, Stevens, Azarenka, Sakari, you look for this run now. Jessica Pagula, twenty-four and eleven against top 50 opponents this season. Yes, seven and 10 against the top 20, but you know she is top 10 for what it's worth in top 20 victories. Those seven victories ranked tied for ninth overall on the season. You look for her against top 10 opponents, three and nine overall on the year, but I always like to point out that four of her losses came to Svantec. The fifth came to an undefeated Barty and no one's beating those players this season, so you take those out of the equation, three and four against the best of the rest, which in context sounds much better. You know, you look for Jessica Pagula as well, the stats lover. Pagula, one of just five players, excuse me, one of six players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season, and it's the same group we keep alluding to, and yeah, they're going to rank high statistically because they won a lot of matches, but is the only player who ranks top 10 in both. Halep's the only player who ranks top 15 in both. And then you get this group of Buzkova and Bogdan, who are the 250 and qualifying level superstars this year, plus Shaburn Pagula, who ranked top 20 in both hold and break percentage. By every metric, Jessica Pagula has been If not elite, because top 20 may not be elite, that might be the definition of very good. She has been very good throughout the course of this 2022 season. If you want to be an elitist with your definition of elite and say only Iga and maybe Barty to start the year have been elite, I guess I can't really knock you for that. But again, you look for Pagoula all week long, the success she had on serve. She was broken a grand total of three times. In her final three matches, once against Stevens, once against Azarenka, once against Sakari. In the match against Azarenka, she went down a very quick three-love break deficit. What did Pagula do? She never panicked. And the thing, and I know I mentioned this at the end of last week, but the thing that I think she employed most successfully from a tactical perspective all week long was just the depth she was playing with down the center. She said, "Okay, I think my baseline level is really good. If you can come up with something outstanding, you meaning Pagula's opponents, congratulations. Beat me. Sustain it for over an hour, for over an hour and a half, for the two hours it's going to take to grind me off the court. Because for Pagula, again, the big revelation for her this season has been the hold percentage. She's holding serve 73.7% of the time. That's a career high at the tour level for her and a top 20 number, as I alluded to. Ranks 18th overall for what it's worth. Not elite, but much better, above average. And I think the thing Pagula has done so well down the home stretch of this season and one of the big questions for her moving forward, how is she going to make life easy for herself? What is the, if not elite thing, the very replicable thing she can do to have success against her opponents regardless of what they're doing? Because she's not a Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club player. And what has that adjustment been? It's been moving forward to the net. Jessica Pagula, who's had a ton of double success this season alongside Coco Goff, she is an outstanding volleyer, and the depth she generates on every ground stroke. I talked about the depth she played with down the center against Azarenka, who through the first three games was lights out. But couldn't sustain the aggression needed to hit Pagula off the court over the course of an hour and a half. Pagula took the legs out from under her, and then Pagula was consistent in her first strike capabilities. Pagula so disciplined in her pattern: two balls cross, one ball line. Or if you open up angle for her, she's going to try and beat you to the spot down the line with her line drive tennis. She was so effective at just keeping Azarenka out of the move when Azarenka tried to open up the court but didn't do it with enough depth and – then again, was relentless in her first strike. She went over 62% of both her first and second serves. And that translated into the final against Maria Sakkari. And, you know, if you want to hold anything against Pagula, she made only 52% of her first serves against Sakkari. It certainly helped that Sakkari had dead, dead legs. And, you know, that said, I think something Pagula did really well tactically. And I thought Matova did this in the quarters against Sakkari as well. Collins, to some extent, did it in the round of 16. But Collins is a different sort of beast She did a really good job hitting behind Maria Sochari. In particular, she forced Sochari to hit a lot of forehands on the run. And that Sochari backswing can get a little big. Now, when her feet are set, her first strike forehand, it continues to get better and better. That's why we see Maria Sochari's hold percentage improved for six consecutive seasons because her first strike set forehand has continued to progress at that rate. You know, that said, on the run, there are a lot of moving parts, and Pagula did a great job of attacking that forehand with depth when she had Sakari on the run. Again, finished the first set off with a beautiful exchange at the net where she ultimately covers the net well, hits the volley to the open court to seal the set. got an early break in set number two, and then just kind of ran away with things. I know it got shaky at the end. She got broken 4-3-5, but she bounced right back, and I don't remember if she broke at love or whether it was at 15, but she broke pretty comfortably in that final game. You can't hit a serve to the Pagula backhand return, just the depth she generates off that backhand return. Exceptional, dare I say, elite. And then the forehand depth continues to improve cross-court. It just continues to become a more penetrating shot, and you know in the outer thirds of the court i don't want to say pagula's the schvantech levels of elite fluidity but no one's going to go into a match and pagula's movement will never be the reason she loses a match she is an above average athlete in the corner she does have above average explosion above average strength above average pace generated pagula's really good at everything and it's nice to see that consistent dare i say goodness rewarded with this big title run in Guadalajara. Just her second run of the uh, to a final of the year, but both of them come at the 1,000 level. And again, for Pagula, you earn top 50 victories over a Rabacano, over an Andrescu, over a Azarenko, over a Sakari. You know, I know you look at the rankings right now. Sloane Stevens, I believe, is not a top 50 player. Excuse me, Andrescu's not a top 50 player, Sloan Steven is, but Andrescu is a top 50 player. And that is a 25th, then top 50 win for Jessica Pagula. And again, 25 and 11 ostensibly against the top 50 this season. That's exceptional. And you look for Pagula now, it's been a trend we've seen for a couple of seasons. Jessica Pagula really has had own jabour levels of success since the tour resumed in 2020. You look for Pagula overall during that 2020 season. She finishes 17-9, and quarterfinal Cincinnati, third round U.S. Open. That's what really got the ball rolling. You then look for her last season, exceptional, 39-19, and wins two-thirds of her matches, finishes the season in the top 20, semifinals for her Montreal, third round or better at a couple of slams, including that quarterfinals in Australia, to start the year. Quarterfinals, Dubai, semifinals, Doha. You know, last season, she made seven total quarterfinals, one at a slam, two of them, I believe, coming Indian Wells, Montreal at the 1,000 level. Oh, and Rome. So three of them coming at the 1,000 level. She's just built on that this season with her nine quarterfinals, with her two 1,000 level finals, and now this Guadalajara title. And now, you know, it's not often we all raved about what Aslan Karatsev did to start the 2021 season. What Jabir and Pagula have done, reaching their primes of their career, not at 24, 25, as so typically happens, but at 28 years old, Jabir's 28, Pagula's 28, and they're playing the best tennis of their career, which begs the question, and I know I do this far too frequently, but let's just do it again. Seven years from now, Iga Swiatek will be Pagula in Jabir's age. What if that's when she's playing her best tennis? What is that going to look like? You know, 10 years from now... Coco Gauff will be Jabir and Pagula's age. What if that's when Gauff is playing her best tennis a decade from now where it's just a completely different thing? How can you be anything but excited for the next five years in professional men's or women's tennis, as I made the case yesterday with all these rising young talents on the men's side as well? All these players are already really good already. And if this isn't the best version of a Svantec, of an Alcaraz, of a Goth, of a Sinner, Oh boy, like it's going to be fun watching them find their best tennis over the course of the next five years because there's a ton of talented players. That said, there's also an opening. If all of these young talents aren't quite at their ceiling, then there is this space at the top and Jabir Pagula have come bursting through that space. It's extraordinarily impressive to see. Shout out to Jessica Pagula again. Has won over two-thirds of her matches here this season. Has, you know, now won a 1,000-level titles and into the Tour Finals for the first time in her career. Well-deserved for the 28-year-old American. Also, I think in the end we have to say well-deserved for Maria Sakharin. As she reaches the year-end finals, once again, you look for Sakharin. Needed every bit of her three-set wins over Danielle Collins, over Kuder Matova in the round of 16 and quarterfinals, and to see the emotion on Sakari's face after earning victories in each of those matches, to see the emotion on Matova's face when she wins that 7-5 second set to force the third against Sakari in the quarterfinals. That's what it's all about. Like, if you can't get amped for that, I just don't know what to tell you. And You look for Maria Sakari here this season for what it's worth in terms of some of the stats. Maria Sakari overall on the year ranks tied for eighth in quarterfinals. She's uh, reached a total of eight here this season. She's tied for third in terms of semifinals. She's reached six overall on the season. She's tied for fourth in total finals. She's reached four overall on the season. Sakari also... Interestingly, not in the top eight in top 10 or top 20 victories, but 37 and 22 overall on the season. Guess what? If you reach, what did I say? Nine, no, eight quarterfinals throughout the course of the year, you're going to be in the hunt. And, you know, you look at where those quarterfinals came for soccer here this season. Obviously, Guadalajara, Indian Wells, the two big ones, Rome, Doha should also be on the list. It was good enough for Maria Sakkari. I suppose that's what I can say about her this season. Might not have been her best tennis at times, but it was certainly good enough. You look for her against players ranked outside the top 50, 21-8. You look for her against top 50 opponents here this season. 16-14 is a little bit disappointing, but 7-7 seven and seven against the top 20. You know, 1-5 against the top 10. That doesn't sound great, but let's go back to that 7-7 seven and seven against the top 20. I mean, look, again, in the match against Matova, Sakari did not have her first serve. She made only 57% of them. Now, that first serve percentage struggle has been the struggle for Maria at many times throughout the course of this season. Yeah, she has a career-high hold percentage. It's top 10 on the WTA Tour. Yeah, she's winning more first serve points than ever before in her career, but she struggled in that trade-off of going for a little bit more on that first serve with seeing the first serve percentage dip. That said... She fought off 14 of 15 break points against Kudermatova. And, you know, what was really impressive for me, whether it was against Kudermatova in the quarters, Buzkova in the semis, both of her opponents had early opportunities on Zachary particularly early breakpoint opportunities. And, you know, the 27-year-old was able to fight them off despite all the struggles. It was, you know, whether it was a sensational, I think, 17-ball rally in one of those opening breakpoints against Matova to start the match, or against Buzkova, excuse me, at the start of the first set where she comes up with this sensational inside-in forehand, whether it was the fact that Buzkova made a push at the start of the second set as well, but Maria Sakkari kind of closed the door on her there. It was the combination of things. Soccery's ability to still have success with the first serve. And, you know, you look for her outside of the match she played in the final where Pagula kind of pounced on the serve. And we'll get to that in a second. But Soccery wins 68% of her first serve points against Buzkova, 76% of them against Kuder Matova. The big number, she won 65% of her second serve points against Danielle Collins. She was able to win free points in rhythm, maybe not free points, but in rhythm, easy points on her serve. And then she just let her physicality shine through in the return games. And you look for Sakari, again, was able to win over 50% of her second serve points, created 14 break point chances against Marie Buzkova, 9 against Kudermatova, 11 against Collins. She just kept herself in every service game, it felt like. In those big matches, and even when things got a little bit shaky, and I do think at times things did get a little bit shaky for Kuda Matova, uh, excuse me, for Sakari, particularly on that forehand wing She was so steady on the backhand all week long. She was bold with her first strike behind her serve in every match that she played. And she just had a little bit more confidence in her game to, you know what, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down playing my sort of tennis, which, yes, involves the first strike, but I'm also going to outwork you. I'm going to outphysical you. I'm going to track down that extra ball in the corner. I'm going to generate a little better depth than you expect in the outer thirds. It was just a great week for Maria Sakari. Wins over Kostia Collins, Kudermatova, Buzkova. And again, the emotion of the three-set Collins victory to be up five three in the first set, drop that first set, and you know, then ultimately get over the finish line to need eight first uh set set points against Marie Buzkova in that opening set as well. And then just to get to this final, after, again, what was a shaky 2 uh, three-match run, the Parma final against Sharif, losses to Parks, Vekic in San Diego and Ostrava, respectively. This is what the doctor ordered for Maria Sakari. You know what she gets to say now? Second consecutive season, Maria Sakari is in the year-end finals. Bring up the list, players who have made back-to-back year-end finals. And, you know, again, you make two in a row. I'm sure there are more than 50 names on that list. When you start to get into the territory, though, of three in a row, and you have that three- to five-year run, now you're talking about, you know, generation—I don't want to say generation-defining talent, but you're just one of the names we have to discuss when we talk about an era moving forward if you have one of those three- to five-year runs, right? You become a Sangha, you know, a Burdich, or at least you put yourself in a position for those sorts of careers or, like— you know, again, maybe not quite Radvanska yet, but you're in that neighborhood if you start having a little bit more success at slams during this run or, you know, you start to be in that neighborhood of just best of the rest. Um, I, I don't know how else to say the Yelena Yankovic club of things. And certainly for the 27-year-old Maria Sakkari, who's firmly in the prime of her career, yes, the break percentage dipped for her this season. And I think that's the big thing to look at. You look, Maria Sakkari career average 35% break percentage. She broke 32.9% this season. That's 3% below the average of a top 50 WTA tour player. I'm not sure what went away. Yeah, you can target the forehand. And yeah, her forehand backswing has gotten a little bit bigger. But Fundamentally and foundationally, she puts a ton of returns in play, and I don't think she's that passive. I just think she's a little bit streaky from the baseline. And I do think a lot of it revolves around that forehand. So that's a number I want to look into more as I look into this offseason. But certainly, again, the exact run Kudermatova needed—excuse me, Sakharin needed to end the year. I keep saying Kudermatova. Obviously, for Kudermatova, heartbreaking loss you make. What did I say? Uh, She ranks third on the WTA Tour. She made 11 quarterfinals this season Is the last player out of the WTA Tour finals. Now, she'll get to go as an alternate, and maybe she does ultimately get to play at least one match. But tough three-set loss for Kuder Matova, fought really hard till the end, but went down an early break on soccer. He just was never quite able to get it back. Good run for Sloan Stevens, good run for Coco Goff, tough three-set loss to Vika, but I mean, let's just quickly look at the number for Vika here as I offer some scattered final thoughts on the action in Guadalajara. I mean, Victoria Azarenka, you know, from a win total perspective, it was not a standout season. Azarenka now overall on the year 24 and 13. She did win about two thirds of her matches, um, but only played 37 of them, you know, fourth round U.S. Open, fourth round Australian Open, third round Roland Garros, where she lost seven, six in the third. She now makes a semifinal in Guadalajara, uh, Only made a couple of, in fact, only made three quarterfinals this season. Adelaide, Washington, and now here in Guadalajara. Dealt with a lot of different injuries. Uh, Obviously wasn't able to play as many matches as she would have liked. But for what it's worth, statistically, you look for Azarenka this season. The hold percentage was down. Held just 67.4% of the time at her best. She's playing more successful first strike You know, it's funny, actually, the break percentage is down as well, 39.8%, about 5% below her average, and yet that's still, you know, again, 4% above the average of a top 25 player. And I do think when she has time to strike the ball, she looks exactly like Victoria Azarenka. I don't think she's moving particularly poorly, though that first step, maybe not quite what it once was. There's not quite as much spring into the serve. It feels like she is three to five miles per hour down. That said, I think foundationally, she still looks really good from the baseline when she can assert herself when the legs are fresh. Azarenka is still very much capable of playing top 20 level tennis It's just how healthy is she moving forward for Azarenka, who, by the way, just 33 years old. That's just not that old. I obviously has had many different things happen to her throughout the course of her career, but I still think there's good tennis left in the career of Victoria Azarenka, You know, that said, lastly, I suppose Marie Buzkova, it's a career season for the 24-year-old who's now up to a new career high, number 28 overall in the rankings, 41 and 13 here this year. She's 76% win percentage overall. Obviously, that's a top five number on the WTA Tour. She is one of uh, the six players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. And a lot of that comes on the back of qualifying success or, you know, 250 level success. But you look for... Her now this season, five different quarterfinals at the tour level, and one of them Wimbledon. She obviously didn't get points for, you know, quarterfinals in Guadalajara twice here this year as well. She just asks so many tough questions of every opponent that she plays, and you look at the wins. It was not the toughest draw: Osorio, Martinsova, Samsonova, Kalinskaya. Before the five and four loss to Sakari, but. She beat everyone she was supposed to beat. You just – you have to do something elite and you have to be able to replicate it consistently. Otherwise, you're not going to beat her. Otherwise, she is going to track down that extra ball. That slice is going to have sneaky depth on it. If you leave something short on her forehand wing – There's actually sneaky pop on that Marie Buzkova forehand. Obviously, the depth is always exceptional, but when she has time to snap through it, there's a little more action on the ball than you expect. She's able to open up all the angles. Every slice that's ever caught off Buzkova's racket has dropped just inside the baseline. She plays the drop shot. She is a good volleyer when the opportunity to sneak forward presents itself. I really like her ad side kick serve. 24 years old if she stays healthy again with all the questions she asks across surface that ability to turn defense into offense I don't see her dropping outside the top 50 anytime soon now does she have a top 15 upside I don't think so because I just don't think she has a weapon to make a top 15 player who has the sort of weapons they're able to duplicate consistently you know I don't think she has that upside to beat three top 15 players consecutively that said she can definitely beat one if they don't have their best day, definitely beat two in a row. I just think, you know, 15 to 35, that's where buskova is going to live over the next three to five years in the rankings if she stays healthy. And that's a really good place to be for the 24-year-old because you're setting your schedule, you're making some healthy money, you're playing all the big events, you're doing what you want to do. But with that said, that's your look at the 2022 action in Guadalajara now, let's look at the Tour Finals because our field is set, folks. We know the eight players competing in Fort Worth. We already knew Iga, Jabir, Pagula. They had clinched their spots. Joining them in Fort Worth, you'll have Coco Goff, 18 years old. Again, find me the list of teenagers who have competed in the Tour Finals. Sellis, uh Hingis, probably Chrissy Everett, Serena maybe, Sharapova, Ega, like maybe Justine Ennin, that's your, uh, not Ega, excuse me, maybe Justine Ennin, not Ega, but that's probably your list. Or did Iga in 2020 as a 19-year-old, did she compete in the Tour Finals? I don't know if there were Tour Finals that season. The point is, Goff's now on that list, and... That's an incredible accomplishment for the 18-year-old who's top five in the world right now in both the singles and doubles rankings, who qualifies for the year-end finals, who you look overall at the leaderboard. Goff doesn't uh, rank—Goff, excuse me, doesn't rank top 20, but she is one of eight players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And look, she's 22nd in hold percentage, 25th in break percentage. Excuse me, flip those. 25th in hold percentage, 22nd in break percentage. Guess what? She's very good at everything. If this is the baseline that you're above average at both holding serve and breaking serve, and I think that matches what we see with our eyes, I don't think we would say outside of the movement, the fluidity, the backhand. I mean, again, she can do everything well. Is she elite at anything right now? The movement, yes. I think the rest of the game is coming and again this is the baseline moving forward 18 years old she's in the tour finals top 25 in both hold and break percentage speaks to how successful she has been this season we have eight players you can say that about and again excluding both Bozkova, bogdan and alexandrova only f- you know the five uh, excuse me the four players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage at the year end tour finals are your four highest ranked players Shiantek, Pagula Shabur, golf. There's a reason for that, folks. When you're good at everything, you're going to win a lot of matches. Fifth, Maria Sachery in the points race, ultimately finishes fifth. You look for soccer again, the eight quarterfinals overall on the year. Um, No, she didn't have a signature title victory. Wasn't that great at the slams, but won a ton of matches. And so she's in the hunt. Caroline Garcia, you win Cincinnati, have the run she had on grass courts, clay courts, Cincinnati during the summer. Yeah, her Month and a half, six-week run, as good as any six-week run outside of the names we've already mentioned, and even maybe better than Sakari on this list. Arena Sabalenka, your seventh qualifier. Here are the numbers that stand out for Sabalenka. Not top 25 in hold percentage this season. Too many double faults on her list, but she is top 10 in first serve win percentage. You look for Sabalenka, also has eight quarterfinals this season, ties with Sakari for eighth as a top eight number. I mean Sabalenka gonna Sabalenka. I I don't know what else to say. Obviously had pretty good runs at the slam uh, at the slams to end this season. At least the slam you look for Sabalenka overall on the year. There are some standout runs, just to quickly go through what she's been able to accomplish this season. Sabalenka, 30 and 20, so winning 60% of her matches. Semifinals, U.S. Open. Third round, Roland Garros. Round of 16, Australian Open. She finals in the Netherlands. Finals at the indoors, uh, Clay in Stuttgart. Semifinals, Cincinnati. That's enough big results, success to earn your way into the tour finals. And again, outside of the double faults, I think. Sabalenka got better at every part of her game this season, and I think this is the floor for Sabalenka, who's into the year-end finals for another consecutive season. And, you know, again, this is the floor. It feels like if she figures out the serve and everything else sustains going into next year— another player who can take just another leap forward, and I think a player who has Tier 1 upside. I've made that case millions of times, so credit to her. And then credit to Daria Kasakina, who won a ton of matches this season. I'm going to include Haddad Maya in this list. There are five players in the top 50 who have won 40-plus matches this year. Iga, owns Pagula, Hadad Maya... And Daria Kasakina. Kasakina also tied with Sakari Sabalenka. Eight quarterfinals on the year. She's tied for third with six semifinals on the year as well. Kasakina's second most top 10 victories this season. She has five trailing just Iga Svantec. She also uh, has nine top 20 victories. That's tied for second with Rabakina, and Anisimova trailing just Iga once again, who has a ridiculous 18 top 20 victories. Double the next amount. She's got 12 top 10 victories. He's more than double the second place in that mount. all the stats say is what we saw with our eyes was Iga was that much better than everyone else here this season but you know again Kasakina according to the numbers has certainly or your second in top 10 wins second in top 20 wins top 10 in quarterfinals you deserve a spot in the final eight if you're asking who are the biggest snubs Danielle Collins, who ranks top 26 in both hold and break percentage for what it's worth, one of just 10 players you could say that about. You'd add Amanda Nismova to the list as well. When Collins was healthy, particularly on hard courts, I think she was probably better than Kasakina, Sabalenka, and maybe Sakari on that list. I don't want to get into Simona Halep right now, so we're just going to leave that argument aside. Kudermatova, I don't think she was definitively better than Sabalenka, Kasakina, or Sakari. I don't think Bencic was. I don't think Bedosa was. Kvitova, Kontave, like Haddad Maya. I think Samsonova's playing better than Sabalenka, Kasakina, and Sakari down the home stretch of the season, but I think we got the final eight right, and I know that's not exactly a hot take. Who's the biggest snub? On this list, like Krachikova played really well to end the season, but she can't be a snub. I don't think Kudermatova is a snub. Like, I, I really don't. I think the numbers indicate we got the eight right. So I'm really excited for this year-end finals. And obviously, I plan to break it all down again with David Kane on the Great Shot podcast this week. So be on the lookout for that episode. That said... That's your Guadalajara recap and a look at the 2022 WTA stats on the season. Of course, we still have one signature event to go, the year-end finals, first week of November in Fort Worth. We'll cover it all here on this podcast, of course, as we enjoy the home stretch of this 2022 season. Of course, if you're looking for ATP tour coverage, just scroll up or down. I think it's down on that mini break podcast feed as covered all of this weekend's action in part one of these shows. Of course, we've got two 500s this week in Vienna and Basel I believe will preview those events talk about them all week long here on the mini break maybe even some GSP aces of the day mixed in as well that said a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the fuck of an editing job day in day out making all of our content possible shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point for their support remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 with that said for the fantastic Westoff, our super producer uh, for our friends at Tennis Point, as well. Don't worry, I'm going to continue to speak English here down the home stretch, and for all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.